If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 this morning as we return to the text, as we march through this letter to the Philippian church and to God's people, because this is in God's word and given to us by God to instruct us in the way that we should live. Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bible with you today, rejoicing in the Lord, we learned last week, for believers in Jesus is commanded. It is essential to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is essential. It is a safeguard for believers in Jesus, rejoicing in the Lord. We started our look here at chapter 3 with verse 1 last week, and our focus this morning is going to be on verses 2 and 3, but I want to start reading at verse 1 again as we did last week. So look at verse 1, follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 1, 2, and 3 in Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We saw last week this imperative, this command that believers in Jesus rejoice in the Lord. So if you're a follower of Jesus... Failure to rejoice in the Lord should alert you that something in your walk with Christ is out of order. For the growing believer in Jesus, rejoicing in the Lord should come naturally. It should flow from our lives out of the overflow of your faith in Jesus. You should be rejoicing. You should be a person of joy in the Lord. It is not that you bounce happily through life as if there's not a care in the world. Please don't hear me saying that you ignore the suffering going on in this world. It's not as, you, it's not as if you look the other way at your trials and difficulties. But you're able to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of hardship. Because you're God's child. Because you've learned that you don't grieve like people who have no hope. You grieve, yes, over difficulties and hardship and things that are grief-worthy, but you grieve with hope. Your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ cause you to rejoice in Him always. So it is essential for believers in Jesus to rejoice in the Lord because it helps you keep your focus on God, even especially in the midst of your troubles helps you get your eyes off of your problems, not that you ignore them, but so that you don't dwell on them. You dwell on the things that God has promised you and is doing in your life, even through the, the hardships, strengthening your faith, providing what you need in the midst of your troubles as you obey God. Now, we also noted last week that it is for your own safety. It is a safeguard for you. It is for your own good, because when you rejoice in the Lord, you are learning to be content in the Lord. You're learning to be grateful to God for what He is providing, and even withholding, in every circumstance of life. 
Uh, We should also always remember this, that rejoicing in the Lord will make you a powerful witness for the cause of Christ. This is one of God's intents in, in our rejoicing, that we become a powerful witness for the sake of the gospel as we rejoice in the Lord. As we rejoice in the Lord, the result is that God is glorified. God is magnified. The Lord Jesus Christ is made much of. So an identifying characteristic of a growing believer in Jesus is that they rejoice. They rejoice in the Lord. Does that characterize your life? You look at your life, do you see rejoicing in the Lord? I challenge you to think about that this morning. Now, as we step into verses 2 and 3 today, Paul is going to show us some more identifying characteristics of true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also a strong warning here. You cannot miss this warning. We're going to dive into this this morning. That warning we're going to see first. So Paul first shows us what a true follower of Jesus will not look like. Here's what a believer in Jesus should not look like. Paul gets our attention in verse 2 when he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What Paul is warning of here is that believers in Jesus have an opponent. They have an adversary. There is a powerful reminder that believers in Jesus will always need to be on guard against false teaching and false teachers. Otherwise, you could be led away from the truth of the Bible and into disobedience. That is a dangerous place to live. You get the context here when Paul says, look out for the dogs, that he's not talking about puppies here. Because the context says, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He calls them dogs here, false teachers, those who oppose the gospel. He calls them dogs here because they're not like your friendly dog who follows you around the house and when you sit down, plops down on your feet. (laughs) That's not the kind of dog that he's talking about. Here he's describing dogs that are like wild scavengers, dangerous animals that run in packs and are harmful to people. He's comparing these kinds of people to the kinds of dogs we see described in several Old Testament passages, like 1 Samuel 17, 43, where the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he's not talking about playing fetch either. Like you would beat off a, a, a wild, rabid dog. Another is in Psalm 22 in verse 16, which is actually a prophetic passage about the crucifixion of Christ, which says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And then there's 1 Kings 16.4, which talks about the people that die in the city being eaten by dogs, wild dogs. Paul is using the strongest kind of language here to compare false teachers to dangerous beasts. Paul also seems to be using this word dogs with an interesting twist. 
Jews in biblical times used the word dogs as a form of contempt for Gentiles. When speaking of Gentiles, sometimes they would call them dogs. But Paul, a Jew, he takes this and he turns his favorite, this favorite phrase of, of the Jews and when, when they would use it against Gentiles. And he uses it to turn it back to talk about Jewish false teachers. He also calls them evil workers and those who mutilate the flesh. Now, if you think this is inappropriate and unloving, let me, let me help you here. When he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, some would say, that's not nice, that's not loving, that's not tolerant. But there's an important lesson here for us. We need to be on guard against false teaching. We need to take false teaching seriously. Note here that what Paul is doing is pointing out doctrinal error and those who peddle it. It is not unloving and inappropriate to point out doctrinal error. That's what the Bible means when it tells us to speak the truth in love. In fact, it's actually unloving to overlook false teaching and say nothing. Today I think of my own mother who knows God's Word and loves God's Word and for many years, in my growing up years, would point at things that were not true and say, that's not true, that's not what the Bible says. If you had a mom like that, God blessed you richly with a mom who loved God's Word and loved you enough to tell you the truth when, when she saw error and when she saw it creeping up in your life. To say, stop, you're not living according to the truth. Oh, we need moms and dads like that in our church, don't we? The culture needs moms and dads like that who love God's word and love the truth so much that they'll stop and say, wait, child, listen, you are not practicing the truth of God's word. That's what Paul is warning the Philippian believers. He cares for these Philippian believers like a, like a mother cares for her child. He's saying to them, be on guard. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for the false teachers. He is warning them that they ought to be very careful. There are those who take great pride in their external works. That's what this passage is talking about. There are those who would come along and say, to be a believer, to, to be a believer in Jesus and to be saved by God, you need to, you need to show some external works. And he is taking that on. The false teachers he's warning them about took great pride in their external obedience, which they equated to righteousness. But they were in reality evildoers because they were leading people away from the truth. They were leading people astray. They put their faith not in the power of God to forgive sins, they did not rest solely in God's promise to forgive all who come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and in Him alone. They put their confidence in their own ability to do good works. And that is a dangerous place to live. Now here we might think, but God's Word tells us that faith without works is dead. So isn't this a good thing that they had faith and works? Well, the Bible teaches that good works is to be evidence of your faith. You 
you ought to be displaying. It's like the joy that we ought to have. The joy ought to overflow from our lives because we are Christ's. And because we see who He is. And we see who we are without Him. The Bible teaches that good works is to be evidence that you are a believer in Jesus. Works are an overflow of your faith. Like rejoicing in the Lord is to be an overflow of your faith. But those good works do not earn your way to heaven. They do not earn the forgiveness of sins. You do not earn God's acceptance by performing good works. And that's how false teachers, false teachers see it. And especially those Paul is calling out here. They perform good works so that they might earn acceptance by God. And they're telling everyone else that they must do the same. These false teachers are also described by Paul as those who mutilate the flesh because they were saying that to be right with God, you had to be circumcised. And he includes this because these false teachers were teaching this, that this circumcision was essential to faith and salvation. But Paul is denouncing that kind of false teaching. What Paul is saying here is that if circumcision is performed as a way to earn a right standing before God, it is simply mutilating the flesh. Elsewhere, Paul wrote this. Listen to Colossians 2, verse 11. In Him, that's Jesus, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What Paul is saying there is that a true believer in Jesus has experienced a spiritual circumcision. A putting off of the sins of the heart in Christ. Circumcision, you, you don't need it to be saved. The same goes for baptism. You don't need it to be saved. The same goes for the Lord's Supper. You don't need it to be saved. The same goes for church attendance. You don't need it to be saved. Giving, you don't need it to be saved. Think of any other external practice that someone might come along and say, wait a minute, you, you need to do those things to be saved. That is not what the Bible teaches. Those things cannot save a person from their sins. They cannot be removed from or mixed with faith to earn salvation. Only through faith in Jesus and faith in Him alone are you saved. Those things I mentioned, those should be the overflow of your heart. You give because you want to worship God with what He has entrusted to you. And you want to see His work go on. You take communion because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died for you. And you want to remind yourself of what He has finished for you on the cross. You attend church not to be right, with God, not to gain God's approval, but so that you will grow in the Lord and so that you will be taught and reminded of the Scriptures so that as you leave this place on a Sunday, you go into the week ahead 
living for Christ, with a devotion to serve and glorify Him. You go to the Lord and you surrender yourself to baptism because that is obedience to God's Word once you've trusted in Jesus Christ, not before you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Only through faith in Jesus and faith in Him alone are you saved. This is a powerful reminder of why we need to be reading our Bibles. God's Word is the best antidote to error. You know, reading the Bible and obeying it is the foundation on which God builds what I like to think of as a citadel of faith. Without the Bible, you don't have a foundation of truth. You need a foundation of truth. It's only found in God's Word. Reading the Bible and obeying it is a foundation to your ongoing faith in Christ and strength as a believer. It will protect you from false teaching. Some might say that to learn to recognize false teaching, you've got to saturate yourself in the false teaching. You've got to dig, you know, dig in deep and dive in deep and to figure out what this false teaching is. I would say, stop. That's not the first place you go. I thank God for Bible scholars who dig deep into error and show us where the error is is taking us astray. But, but for the average believer in Christ, the best place for you to begin is with God's Word every day. Feed your soul with the truth. You will recognize error if your mind and your heart, your life is saturated with the truth of God's Word. We don't need to start with a false teaching. We need to start with the truth. Much false teaching... Also, it can be detected if we examine what false teachers believe about Jesus. Very often, you can spot a false teacher when you ask about their teaching. Do they believe that Jesus is God the Son, fully equal with God, God the Father? Do they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do they believe that Jesus died to save sinners, was buried and rose from the dead on the third day and lives? But even that alone may not help you identify a false teacher. They might say many of the right things, but this is why a steady intake of reading the Bible daily is an absolute necessity. It will train your mind. It will train your heart to the truth of God's Word so that you will recognize when something doesn't align with the Bible. Be a reader of God's Word. You desperately need that foundation of truth to guard you from false teaching. We can all do this. We can all feed our minds with the truth. Maybe maybe you're not the greatest reader. I would encourage you, if you have a hard time reading, to get get an audio Bible. Listen to the Scriptures. As you follow along in your Bible, listen to God's Word. Now, after describing the false teachers and warning the Philippian believers to steer clear of them, Paul goes on to describe a true believer. What does a true believer look like? In verse 3, we see that the circumcision of the heart, which refers to true believers, are those who bear three identifying characteristics. He says, for we are the circumcision... 
says Paul, of believers in Christ, who, one, work by the Spirit of God, two, glory in Christ Jesus, and third, put no confidence in the flesh. That's a sketch of a true believer. That's a sketch of a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is describing not someone who is physically circumcised, but someone whose heart is circumcised. Meaning they've been forgiven their sins and they've fully devoted their lives to living for Christ. You see, being a true believer in and follower of Jesus isn't linked to some outward obedience, such as circumcision, which these false teachers adhered to. It's marked by a life dedicated to living for God. That should be the overflow of your faith. The overflow of your faith should lead you to devote your life to pleasing God with the way that you live. So first, Paul tells the Philippian believers that true Christians worship, look at it, by the Spirit of God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit living in the believer that enables true worship of God. You see, true worship flows from the heart and life of the true believer in Jesus. Worship is not dependent on location. Do you realize that? Worship is not dependent on on the location where you're found physically. You, You don't come here to only worship here. You realize that you you do gather here to worship, but this isn't the only place you're to worship. True worship flows from the heart. True worship flows from the life of a true believer in Jesus. Again, it's the overflow of the heart that's been circumcised. It's the overflow of the heart that's been changed, been forgiven your sins. Worship is not dependent on location. In fact, what God wants of His children is their whole life lived out as an act of worship. What we have here on Sunday mornings, we might call a worship service, but really this should just be the the tuning of your heartstrings to go out and worship with your life all week, preparing you to worship God with the way that you live with the way that you do your work, with the way that you speak, with the way that you think, with the way you do business. This should really just be the beginning of your worship for the week as you are empowered and aided by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to honor God with your life, to honor Him with the way that you think, with the way that you treat people, the way that you think about the challenges and the hardships that you face. Now note that a true believer also glories in Christ Jesus. In the New International Version, the phrase is this, who boast in Christ Jesus. Who boast in Christ Jesus. And the idea here is that the true believer in and follower of Jesus gives all the credit to the Lord Jesus Christ and gives all the hope in his or her life for anything that might bring honor and glory to anyone, that it would be honor and glory that Christ gets for what Christ is doing. 
This was true in Paul's life. We see it in his writing elsewhere, such as in 1 Corinthians 2.2, where he says, For I decided to know nothing among you, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't want people looking at his life as in, as in we all need to just believe in Paul. He's saying, no, you believe in Christ. Paul's focus of ministry was on Jesus, not on himself. He wanted people not to see Paul. He wanted people to see Jesus. That ought to be our desire. That as we live for Christ in this culture, in this world, in this community, that they don't see us so much as they see Jesus at work, changing us. Jesus glorified. We hear Paul say this in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So, in the life of a follower of Christ, all the glory and honor belongs to Jesus. And we ought to worship that way. We have nothing to boast about except for Christ. You see, a true believer in and growing follower of Jesus will talk about Jesus. From the overflow of your love for Christ, from the overflow of your joy in the Lord, you will talk about Jesus. You will praise the Lord Jesus Christ for what He has done, what He has finished for you, and what He is doing in you and through you. Does that describe your life today? When you look at your life, do you... Do you see that you're giving God the glory, that you're glorifying Christ with, with your speech, with your conduct, with your attitude, with your, with your actions? Oh, we all ought to be challenged by this. We see here that this is also why a true believer puts no confidence in the flesh. It's a powerful reminder here. We ought not put confidence in the flesh. We see it at the end of verse 3. That's the third identifying characteristic of a true follower of Christ. The believer in Jesus rests his faith in nothing they can do in and of their own strength, since there's nothing the believer can do to save himself or herself. You cannot put confidence in yourself. A true Christian understands that nothing he can do will merit salvation. God saves sinners not because of anything they've done. God does not look into the future of time and see someone who will honor him and say, I'm going to save that person. No. God sees dead people. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're made alive only by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives our sins. He makes us new. Without God's grace, we're hopelessly doomed. And so we see here the difference between what a believer isn't as seen in the false teachers and what a true believer in Jesus is seen in these three characteristics. A true believer in Jesus worships by the Spirit of God because you have the Holy Spirit working in you to cause you to worship God in faith, in joy, in confidence. You worship by the Spirit of God. You glory in Christ Jesus. You don't glory in yourself. 
You, you give the glory to God. You give the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has finished for you at Calvary. And this causes you to remember, never, never will you put confidence in the flesh. It is unfortunate that we are surrounded by religions and so-called churches that teach false doctrine. There are many people being led astray. The Bible tells us that narrow is the way to eternal life. It's a sobering reminder that there are many people being led astray. There are many false doctrines that teach people to believe that by good works you can earn favor with God. Many of them may look like they're, they're a church who is honoring God, but if they're adding anything to faith, that is false teaching. Salvation is not based on anything you can do. You cannot perform a list of good works to earn your way to heaven. But we ought to praise God that He gives salvation by His grace. Through our faith in Him, in Jesus Christ alone we are saved. It does not depend on our works. It depends on our belief in and faith in the finished work of Christ. Romans 4, 5 says it this way, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We are righteous before God because Jesus is righteous. Does that describe you? Is your faith in Jesus and in him alone? Have you believed in Jesus, the only one who can forgive your sins, and justify you as a sinner? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Have you believed in Him as your Savior? God offers you this precious gift of eternal life. And the most important thing you can do today would be to put your faith in Jesus and in Him alone if you've not done that. You can do that right where you sit, right in this moment. It's yours to accept if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, even in this moment. Remember, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. And if you trust in Him, He forgives your sins. You do not earn it. You cannot. It is a gift of God. Eternal life is yours. Forgiveness of sins is yours. What a precious gift. And believers, are you worshiping? Are you praising God today for the salvation that is a gift from God to you? For many of us, the familiar Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a, often a helpful reminder to us when it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. May we each be found by God, worshiping by the Spirit of God, glorying, boasting only in Christ Jesus, and putting no confidence in the flesh.